Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. He's a good dog though. He's good fun, aren't you, mate? You're beautiful, Bruce. You really are. <laughs> He's a Crufts winner, by the way. What? He's he won best yearling at Crufts when he was a puppy. Oh no. He's a Crufts champion. His We're father in the... is an international champion. Oh for goodness sake. Yep. He so is. in the presence of a He is dog royalty. I'll tell you, that's impressive. He is very handsome. He is. He's He's quite small for his breed, but he is considered a very... So, was that a Boston Terrier? Yeah. Is that what you call him? Yeah. Boston Terrier. Very cute. He's a good wee dog. He's just enough to be entertaining. Yes. And because he's small as well. If he starts in his nonsense, he <laughs> just gets pushed out. too much room. Yeah. He loves you people. You are a very people person. Oh, you're very handsome. I am here with Murray Kerr and Boston Terrier Bruce, who is loving life and is my new best pal, hopefully. <laughs> this is how I just get to meet dogs, really. Just invite people to be part of the podcast. <laughs> bring a dog, bring a dog. I'm like, yeah, you get to be on the podcast if you have a dog. <laughs> and you bring it. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Thank Marie, you for having me, Lisa. It's an absolute pleasure to be in your lovely home and to be seeing you. It's been a while since uh, we've seen each other. Yeah, yeah. I better explain how we kind of know each other. <laughs> so, um, I think the cupcakes, we started doing... Armed Forces Day for Glasgow in, um, I think it was like 2000, I think it was like the first year we started, like 2009, so I'm pretty sure you photographed us that year, or maybe even the year I think maybe the that. year just after that yeah, one, totally. 2011, um, And yeah, just obviously I've been aware of your work ever since then, through the, the joy that is Instagram. <laughs> so I just, um, first of all, I wonder if you can recall when you first kind of took an interest in photography at all. Um, I always like. I've always been a visually driven guy. Pictures always stimulate me, and like like every boy growing up, things like you know war movies and uh, kind of classic images and that always were always really interesting. And then I kind of I kind of got to it quite late, to be honest. I I I had a few jobs doing assorted things, and then I made a decision to go back to college. Uh, studied TV productions at College of Building Printing in Glasgow, oh, right, which is okay. now Glasgow Kelvin yes, College. Uh huh. Um, up on the roof was a TV studio there. I trained as a cameraman. Right, okay, and cool. I worked as a cameraman for a while. Ah. And then the digital photography thing t- took off. Mm-hmm. And there was just, uh, there was a, working on a job as an assistant cameraman or camera assist. And the stills photographer hadn't turned up. I had to have my little compact camera with me. Right. And I started doing pictures for the production. And, they got, and I got right into it because it was... It was um, being a camera assistant, there's a lot of standing about, waiting okay, to hold right. something. Hold that for 30 seconds and then go and stand about somewhere else. Okay. So there's plenty of time to wander about and take mm. pictures. There's always interesting things going on in film productions, yeah. TV productions, people doing stuff, people being in the moment. Uh, and I just got I just got kind of hooked with it. Yeah, totally. um, and then digital photography came along in like 2001, two, three. got my first digital camera and just got, just fell back in love with the image uh, and did that and just kind of it grew from there I had a job on a cruise ship which was really good fun and then I decided out of nowhere to pack it in and come home and join the army which wow. kind of which built it 
it was kind of an odd one because I just I woke up in 2003 and said I'm going to go home and join the army I've no decided so yeah. what age were you then? Um, I was 31 and a bit right uh-huh. I did not know this yeah. about you yeah. right okay so I went into them and said look I've made a decision and I'm leaving I'm going home so what were you doing on the cruise ship? I was the broadcast guy TV operator filming the cruise review filming ah, all the events right. And it was a great job. It was really good fun. Yeah, it's a good way to see the world a bit and it's meet a, new people from all around the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a brilliant opportunity to travel. And you're meeting people who are on holiday, so everybody's in a good mood. <laughs> totally. Go, Give us a smile for the camera away, filming the, the, the weekly events. And it was a great job. Really yeah. great job. But it wasn't it wasn't enough. I had looked into joining the army when I was a young lad and it just didn't really sit. I thought and then it came back to two thousand and three and I thought this is my last. This is basically my last opportunity. I'm going to go home and do that. So I handed my notice in, burnt my bridges spectacularly with them, right. came home, and joined the army um, and became an army reservist. The funny part of it is that I got back. I came back from my my job, um, and two days later, I went to the army careers office and said, "I want to join the army." And they said, "What age are you?" I told him my age. And he went, "What exact age are you? What's your date of birth?" And he looked at it, and he went, "You're too old." I went, what? You're too old by six weeks. And I went, really? You're too old to join the regular army by six weeks, mate. That's the rules. Uh, wow. What do I do then? He said, join the reserves. So that's what I did. Goodness or the territorial right. army, okay. as it was. Six weeks, eh? Yeah. You're like, I've just like, packed in my job, pal. <laughs> I, I tried to phone back the cruise company. I phoned yeah. back and they put the phone down on me. I made, like, I made a dead old mistake. <laughs> So I went and joined the Territorial Army as it was um, and became, uh, through a long process, became a gunner and so I climbed the ladder. Went to I went to Afghanistan as a gunner in 2007-2008. Um, I took my camera with me and it was a really brilliant opportunity to, to take some really interesting pictures uh, at a really interesting time. Afghanistan is a really beautiful country mm. and there's some really striking parts of it that really stand out. There are... There are places in Afghanistan that are like a page out of the Bible. They are so untouched by the modern world. It's just so, you know, there's nothing in Afghanistan except the Afghans, but everybody seems to want it. It's famously known as the Graveyard of Empires. Everybody's determined to conquer it from the time of Alexander, but nobody ever has because there's nothing really to conquer. But anyway, I went there and I was really struck by the people. Um, And you you see people who've got bright blue eyes and those guys are, you know, they're, they're Afghanis, mm-hmm. they're, you know, Middle Eastern, but their blue eyes come from their, their descendants of Alexander the Great's army who let, who stayed in Afghanistan, yeah. his big campaign through Afghanistan um, and into the top of India, Asia Minor, was the pretty much the furthest edge of his big campaigns, 10, long, mm-hmm. ten year long campaign. And a lot of his army decided to stay and settle in places that became Afghanistan. So you meet Afghans who are, Middle Eastern people, mm. as we know them, that have got bright blue eyes, and it's re- and it really stands out. I had my camera with me, and I really got into taking lots of great pictures. Um, and then we went back to Camp Bastion, and I was cutting about. I went to the office. I went to the press office there because I wanted to get a hold of a card reader because uh, I couldn't get my card reader to work. And I went there and I said, uh, "I need a card reader. Can you help me?" And I went, what, what are you doing? I'm. I've got some pictures. Of, I'm a reservist, but I'm a photographer. It's my civvy mm-hmm. job. And the guy said, hang on a minute. Have you got a camera with you? I said, yes. 
Um, there, there's somebody coming to Camp Bastion. Um, he's got a visit by the Duke of Kent, but I can't be there. This was the brigade photographer. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. Can you do it? And I went, I'll have to ask about that. But yeah, go on. So the very first job I ever did was in Afghanistan, taking pictures of the Duke of Kent, Where visiting the Scots Guards. Wow. He came along. Uh, he's the Royal Colonel of the Scots Guards. Mm-hmm. Um, he came along. He was hosted by them, and I was taking pictures of him uh, being shown around. And I handed pictures in, and the guy went, these were really good. Well, thanks very much. I know. <laughs> um, and he told me all about being an army photographer, and I told him, "Well, I'm a reservist. There is no, there's not a transition from reservist to you can't be a reservist army photographer." Uh, skip forward a few, a couple of years. Uh, we were doing royal salutes at Edinburgh Castle at my mm-hmm. parent regiment, and I was always there taking pictures. And the press officer from the Scottish Brigade told, asked me, "Who are you? Why are you here?" Mm-hmm. I told her that I was a photographer, and she said, "Have you heard of the Media Operations Group?" Like, no, I have not. What's that? It's a reservist unit where we do media ops. Uh, and we're always looking for people to come along and bring their city skills with mm-hmm. them. Why don't you come and join them? So I looked into it, and in the 2000, late 2011, I joined the media ops group and started taking pictures for them. The first thing I did, one of the, fir- the first big thing I did was the Olympics in 2012. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Which was really, really cool. Goodness, because right? Because we had... So many MOD people working all over the Olympics, of course, aye. doing the flags and doing the gates and all that kind of stuff. They wanted to, the MOD wanted to make sure that all this was documented, as it's a really it was a great opportunity for community engagement. The army's really big on community engagement, yes. mm-hmm. you know, serving the community mm. and doing. And the Olympics was a great example of that. So we went round the Olympics, taking pictures of all the guys and girls from all the services doing what they yeah, did at the Olympics, and it was brilliant fun really entertaining um, just cutting about London was London's a pretty frantic place mm. and it's pretty it's pretty busy and pretty hard, hard work at times but in the Olympics there was something it was just something really cool good about it good energy about the, a really the good city, energy uh, about it everybody was in a good mood you can be standing <laughs> in the train at one o'clock in the morning coming back from centre of London and everybody chatting away to each other all talking about what they've been doing. Brilliant, and brilliant. Just that sense of community, everybody yeah, kind of together. Yep, and very much so. Uh-huh. Very much so. Yeah, because I guess in a big city like that, people can just be doing their thing, head down, not really chatting. So when there's like a big event like that, it kind of, it's nice to yeah. see people coming together. Engaging you know, with uh-huh. a neighbour. Yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. you don't see that in London much. People no. just kind of, as you say, keep their head down and look at their phone. Um, after Immediately after that, we did the Paralympics, which was great because we actually had... There's several um, Paralympians who were forces personnel, who are guys who had been injured in places like mm. Iraq and Afghanistan, who'd been to the Headley Court Rehabilitation Centre. One of the really great things about I've been to Headley Court uh, once and okay. came away and thought, I have absolutely no right to feel sorry for myself. You never, Imagine ever, ever feel sorry for yourself. You've witnessed there. Guys who have almost lost everything are still having really positive energy, and part of that is their time in the army. Um, what happens is they get they get left for a couple of weeks to feel sorry for themselves, and then somebody comes in and they say, right, what are you going to do with your life? Because you're going to have to find something because you're not going to be able to sit here in a wheelchair. It's just not going to go well for you. What do you want to do? A lot of folk go, I don't know. Why don't you try sport? And yeah. from that, because sport's a big part of army life. These guys go from, there was a guy we met who was, it was a really nice bloke, pretty, pretty average squaddy, had been injured in Afghanistan, and put all his energy into being an athlete and became a Paralympian. Wow. But he got a bronze Paralymp- Paralympian bronze winner from being just a, an ordinary guy 
A really nice guy. Like you say, when something like that, like a life altering mm-hmm. situation happens like that, the amazing things that can come out of it and the spirit of someone just to go, right, okay, I'm going to grab my life. I'm still here. Going to take it uh-huh. back, take control back. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from the, the army mentality of, you know, you're more you're more than just, you're, you're the tiniest cog in the biggest machine, but you're also the single most important thing in the universe. Um, and being part of a team and being part of that, you will do it because mm-hmm. you, there's no other alternative. Yeah, and the, we and have the support to. is there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And motivation. The army has a really good motivator, in a number of ways, uh, to get the best out of people. Mm-hmm. Either as a personal development thing, as a personal sense of personal achievement, as being a part of the team, getting the job done, uh, and things like you know you don't you don't want to let your comrades down, so people will work harder, and you see people you see other people working harder, and it encourages us all. To, to keep going and that's why we are a great organisation for getting the job done and part of the, all that stuff that I did at the Olympics and the Paralympics was just observing all this when everybody else when you know all the stuff that happened with Olympics and the MOD stepping in to pick up the slack and it all mm-hmm. was a real success story for them because a lot of people thought that they were going to be there in a lot of security capacity mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't that we were there just to help out and it was as a piece of community engagement. It was just excellent. Yeah. Because um, people. Yeah, because I probably, I guess, some people might think of the army being very separate and not something that regular Joe blogs can be engaging with. Nobody so, knows. So, like yeah. events like that are perfect mm-hmm. for them, like you say, mm-hmm. to have community engagement to to put a face to the army, not just this, exactly like that. you know, people in uniform that you know, big guns that you can't talk to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody once said to me a really good point all about um, understanding the, the Ministry of Defence is that it's really easy to hate a nuclear submarine. It's really easy to hate a jet fighter. It's really difficult to hate the guy who works there, the sailor, the airman, the soldier, because they're the guys who are doing it. Yeah, we are 100%. civil. We are civil servants. Yeah. We are. We prosecute the the will of the elected government, and that's what we do. And it is easy to it's easy to not see that. But once you do see that, and especially when, in things like the Olympics and the Paralympics, you do see that we are all people. We've got hopes and fears and families yeah. like everybody else. Um, and that really, it really awakened something in me and the notion of being of observing and documenting. Uh, yeah, telling the story of the people that were there yeah. doing that very you know job that you've just described yeah. and the interactions that you would have seen between... The army and, and you know the athletes and then the people attending the Olympics. It must have been quite interesting exactly just to that. be witness to that. Exactly that, exactly that. And it was saw it again because I did the Commonwealth Games as well, which we had in mm-hmm. 2014 here in, that was in Glasgow. Brilliant. Again, for us, like that was the busiest like time, you know, gig wise for mm-hmm. us, and it was just tremendous to be part of it. And mm-hmm. I, that's the, it was that kind of same feeling I felt in the city, just the spirit of it all. Everybody was just totally up for it engaging and you know celebrating the diversity of Glasgow mm-hmm. and you know it was it was yeah. a wonderful time it was yeah. it really was and uh, as I said part of all that I was cutting about the whole uh, Commonwealth Games capturing people there was um, guys with service personnel who were competing and we also had lots of organisations lots of you know forces organisations that were cut, had duties mm. and things like security and things like that and and it was just a great it was a great time just like the Olympics as you said there was a great energy and, and it was a cracking opportunity to see the human element of what the Ministry of Defence mm. is all about and that's it's always see from that time in the Olympics it's always been a thing that's in my head that we're all people we're all trying to 
do our best in difficult circumstances. And when you've got that in your head, is it when that's once watched driving your you know your mo- that's what you're, you're thinking about mm. when you're taking pictures you get to see the best of people doing a difficult job whatever Absolutely. that job may be yeah you know disaster relief you know fixing flood defenses or mm. man in the gates at the olympics or doing all the overseas stuff that we do it's all about the people yeah and when you see people people doing their best at the lowest ebb is something really special. I bet. Oh, There's hi, something Bruce. about it. Thank you. Bruce has <laughs> decided to sit on your lap Bruce and he'll be licking your really face. quite enthralled with the whole podcast situation. Wants yeah. to be very front centre. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> You're people too. You are. <laughs> yeah, I, that, I mean, for me, like, I'm just fascinated by people in photography. Like, you know, I've always had an interest in photography and appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Just that capturing life mm-hmm. just you can capture and see so much mm-hmm. in just one image mm-hmm. for you it just must be amazing to be part of all these kind of interactions and yeah. quite intimate you know obviously they're you know d- disaster relief and these big events and the, the commonwealth games and the olympics but then there must be moments within the smallest of moments that just mean so much that you've just been able to capture that mm-hmm. are quite special things that maybe have, have went unseen as a photographer, you can get right in there and be part of the, the minutia mm-hmm. of these huge events as well. Yeah. Um, what, what I've been doing of late, I take pictures now for the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst, which is the Officer Academy. Yes. Um, and you see, you very much see that people that come, people that come to Sandhurst are really motivated mm-hmm. to get a commission to become officers in the field army. And they come from a variety of backgrounds. Um, was, there's this people from overseas, we've got Commonwealth people, uh, we've got women, we've got LGBT people, we've got uh, people of colour, everybody is, we really are, ref- mm-hmm. it really does reflect society yeah. and they're all there for the same reason and they're all motivated for the, with the same goals and you do see people, um, seeing people who have been awake all night, the tiredest I've ever been but can still manage a laugh and a smile <laughs> when you come in because they're all working together, yeah. they've all got the same, it's a it's a personal goal. It's a personal journey for them, but it's a team sport. Yeah. And you see, when you see people helping each other along and keeping each other going, wow. it's this. It's there's something. Again, it comes back to this thing that's something really special. It's something really unique, and shared experience. And when you sit, when you're sitting observing that, and you do, and I do what I can to capture that, and I try really hard to get the human element of that, and how people are tired and cold and wet and miserable. But they will still keep going. You see, see something in people, and in where they come from and who they are, it just all fades away. We get we get cadets who come from the Gulf states, and they really struggle in the winter. Right. They're just not built for it. Yeah. You know, it's just they come from a, a part of the world where it's warm all the time, and you send them to the Brecon Beacons in February. It's really hard work, and they really struggle with it. Um, but I've, they still manage to maintain a sense of humour about it. And people know that they're struggling, so they'll, uh, they'll, they'll help pick them yeah. up as well. Yeah, just that camaraderie, just yeah. everybody in it together. Yeah, because we've all got to cross the line together, uh-huh. otherwise none of us have done it. And that's, yeah. that's part of the, that's, part, that's another thing that about the, the life in the army, is that it's all, it is a team game, and we've all, we're all yeah, in no together. no one gets left behind. No one gets left behind. Yeah. Um, and getting to be in the middle of all that, when people trust you as well, 
which is a good thing. If you know, if you were a civilian photographer or a civilian journalist trying to do that, people would not open up to you because yeah. they're afraid you're going to say you know, they're afraid they'll say something controversial of or something that'll be taken out of context. So there's quite a standoffish attitude towards the press, basically because folk don't want to get themselves into trouble, which no. is understandable. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. But when you're friendly forces, you can be in, you're in yeah. the little circle, and you see people doing their best at the lowest ebb. Hmm. Yeah, you're part of that team, they can mm-hmm. see you as you know an equal and someone there to to support and, and document it as it is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not tell this, you know, not an untrue to, story. Yes, we're not looking to catch anyone out with it help them yeah cool. I guess as well as a photographer you having conversations with people it, you know it's not just all about being in the background and documenting mm-hmm. but also having frank or open conversations with people and the stories that you must have been told mm-hmm. of like you're saying the people from all walks of life all backgrounds mm-hmm. coming together it must you probably get enough stories to write a book <laughs> and whatever. I've certainly got a cover shot for it. That's, that'll be handy. The, yeah, spinning dips, we call it in the army, is telling stories is a really big part right. of um, of your downtime. Mm. There's no, you know, there's no. I'm away to my bed for the night. There's, <laughs> when you're not working, you're all sitting together. You're either yeah. having a brew or making something to eat or smoking a fag, mm-hmm. and you're all sitting together. And it doesn't take long before people start telling stories. Sometimes it becomes, it becomes. It's not like a one-upmanship, but a lot of the time people will end up telling stories that just make them look utterly ludicrous. It's not <laughs> right. about people don't really tell stories about the the bravery and bravado that no, they do because no. you don't really want to bang on about that because no, it's a bit arrogant. Um, so the stories people tell is about them being so tired that they're hallucinating. Okay. People talking, and we've all done it. Had yeah. a conversation with a bush. Because right. you've, be, you've been awake so long and you just start ch- chatting to a bush who starts talking back to you and you go, yeah, mm-hmm, that is important. And I've it's told mental. that I have told that story to, to people and they'll be like, yeah, I've done that as well. Can you recall where you were? Um, I was, I've done it twice, twice that I know of. My first time when I was doing my basic training um, down in Purbright, I was awake. I wasn't used to the idea of being awake all night. And you, when you go out in, in the field and go on exercise, somebody's always awake, just in case something happens. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly on exercise, in case somebody has an accident or some of like that. But when you go on operation, somebody's always got to be awake because you just don't know what's going to happen. And the first time it happened was, it was literally the first night I'd ever been awake all night. Like, I'd never experienced it before. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in this little hole in the middle of nowhere, wondering what was going on. And the guy who was sitting, who was sitting next to me had gone to get the next person on it's called stag you know the stag okay. rotter and everybody somebody fresh comes on every hour so that you're not sitting out there all night talking to, to a bush and he went away and i didn't realize he'd gone away and so i was just having a conversation with him and i turned around and i was i ended up having a conversation with the bush thinking it was him yeah it's not long now and you know you probably need to get away because you need to get the next guy going and then he's like, yeah. and then the next thing i knew i realized i was talking to the bush wow having a conversation with the bush then i went Oh, I see. And sat quietly and didn't say anything about it uh, until the morning. Um, and then the uh, the second time that happened to me was, was in Afghanistan. We were on a convoy and we were awake for about 60 hours. What? Yeah. 60 hours? Yeah. That, it was just... That's like some sort of form of torture, surely. Yeah. <laughs> And I was That's sitting. Nuts. I was sitting having a conversation with a series of boxes, 
because again I thought that was somebody sitting next to me. Aye, well you would. Yeah, and it was just oh, well, That's you know. Uh, I can't actually imagine that. Yeah, it's pretty hard work. And like, like just where you are and what you're doing, just everything, everything's like ranked up to like the most intense. Well, that's just that. You no, know, your you, body's going through so much. Yeah, and you, your there's, mind. There's and, no switching off. No. When you go out there, it's and part of the reason why you do when you train and you do all your st- sitting up all night, staying awake all night, is because you need to get ready ready for that when yeah. you do it for yeah. real. There are no safety nets and there is no opportunity to go, well, do you know what? I've changed my mind. There's nowhere to go. So you're out there, so you're, you're, that's, you're, you know, you buy in, you play, you pay all in. Mm-hmm. And we were on a convoy and I didn't sleep for two and a half days. I tried to sleep, but you just can't, you just can't do it. You just can't switch off. And then, then you get to, we got, you get to some. Perfect sense that you were talking to boxes and bushes. Yeah. It's great nice when other people are like, yeah, I've done that. You're like, oh, good. It's not just me. Everybody does it. And they all go, oh, I didn't want to admit that in case everybody thought I was in. Oh, I've done that, mate. And they're like, really? But then, I mean, like, you know, we're laughing and whatever, but I guess that's why a lot of people then find it difficult to come back to civilian life because people probably don't understand fully what you've seen Mm -hmm. and what you've been through going back to the whole you know photography thing that's why people would have really connected with you being a photographer because you've lived it you've done mm-hmm. it you know you've been in the army you, you've you've been on those exercises you've spoken to bushes because you've no slept for 60 hours mm-hmm. um that people could relate to you and, and know that you can relate to them mm-hmm. because who who's ever been through that yeah other than you know people that are in the forces yeah really when when you when you meet people it doesn't take very long it doesn't matter who they are what you know, cat badge or rank they are, it doesn't take long for you to find somewhere that you've both been to together, either on operations or on training exercises, and you talk about the same thing, and straight away, you, somebody you've never met before, within a few minutes, you've got something that you've done together. Yeah. At separate times, but you have been through. Yeah, that common and that, ground. It's common ground, and that's what, that's what helps build the notion of, of brotherhood, and I said, I said it before, the notion of brotherhood in the army, and the armed forces is just, there's nothing else like it. Mm-hmm. And the connection that we all have, even though we, we're not parts, we're, we're all still connected. And you keep seeing that, you see that so much uh, when you're taking pictures. Uh, every, and everything I've ever done, you, you see this connection between people, between organisations, between services. And there's nothing like it. No. There's absolutely nothing like it. It's just, and it is why people struggle to when they leave the army, because they miss that. That's mm-hmm. what they miss. The, the kind of stuff that you fall about laughing for, uh, fall about laughing with in your in your army career, will get you like disciplined in your civvy job. Just yeah. tell, telling <laughs> telling stories, imagine. telling stories when you go beyond the point that you know you shouldn't you shouldn't continue with a story, but you know well, that you have to you have to do it because yeah. people are standing there with their face or their chins hitting the floor, and you go, yeah, this is this is why I have to continue this. Can you recall? particular images that you've taken over your career that you're like, yeah, that was a highlight or that was very that was particularly special or poignant for you. Oh yeah, there's mm. there's loads. I will I'll have to stack some up for you. Mm. Um, the very first picture that I ever did uh, as a taken as a as a photo job was for uh, for Para. They had the Freedom of Liverpool parade back in two thousand and twelve and I got sent along to it on my own didn't really know anything about what was expected of me other than to take pictures um, and the picture got and it got on uh, onto the BBC website amazing it was like the day after I'd, wow. I'd taken it a picture of the guys all marching past the Liver building the famous right. Liver building yes, in Liverpool uh-huh, yeah. 
Um, and I thought, wow, that's my picture. And that was the <laughs> first time I'd ever really seen my work mm. in print. I've had, you know, taken pictures and I worked on things before that have been on TV and what have you. But that was the first time I'd actually, that's that's actually my work right there. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. Um, so that was the very first one I ever got, that ever got shared with the world. Mm-hmm. One of my first pictures that I took was for a job for Santos when I was part of the media ops group. A Danish officer cadet. Danish guys are, uh, they're, they're a very small army. And they're, very, they're a professional army. And they're very, they're, they're, there's something really unique about them. And I think all the Scandies, I think it's a Viking thing. They're allowed to grow beards in the field. Whereas we've got to clean, we've got to yeah. be clean shaven every single day. It's a thing about washing yourself mm-hmm. every day. And it's just a routine that the army has. You will wash every day and part of that is you will shave. But the, the, the Danes, I think the Swedes and the Norwegians were, they're allowed to grow beards in the field. Right. So they, they grow beards like pretty much overnight. They're like Olaf the Viking, <laughs> the big red beards right. and crazy blue eyes. <laughs> and I got a picture of this guy. Um, just a close up just of his head mm-hmm. um, just looking across and there was something in uh, I'll, I'll dig the picture out and I'll show you cool. and there was something about it that it, it was quite timeless even though it was a modern picture because the guy had a beard it looked like something that had been taken in the second world war kind of like ah. the stuff from the Iwo Jima campaign Joe Rosenthal's pictures of exhausted marines Okay. there was something about it Yeah. he was he had been up all night running about like a like a, a headless chicken but I just captured this moment and he his big eyes mm. and his beard and it just looked, there was just something brilliant about it yeah. I put it in and I got uh, I got a prize in the army photo competition for it in the portrait cool. category I'll dig the picture out and yeah, I'll let you yeah, see it yeah please do that'd be amazing and it just it was really timeless image it really looked like it could have been taken in the second world war so cool um, so that that was one the first one that really stood out as a picture mm. Gosh, what else? Have I, done? I said there's been loads of stuff I did for the, the Olympic Games and the Commonwealth Games, which was really entertaining, getting people to engage. I got a great picture of a guy um, from the Royal Anglian Regiment and two girls who were walking past the Ibrook Stadium when they were doing the rugby there. Mm-hmm. They had, do you know those jock wigs? Yes. With the bright orange hair. <laughs> Two girls went past, walked past this uh, young officer and I said, hey ladies, why don't we jump in here for a quick picture? Mm-hmm. And they went, yeah, okay. And the two of them at the same time kissed them on both cheek. Uh-huh. And they were giggling their heads off and he had this kind of, <laughs> what has just happened to me? Look on his face. And it was really funny. It was again, it was a really great moment of engagement between mm. folk who were, you know, there just to have fun and enjoy the Commonwealth Games. Of course. And this young chap who really didn't know where he'd let himself in for. <laughs> yeah, we've been in many of those situations where they're like, cupcakes, could you come over? And I'm like, this poor unsuspecting <laughs> lad is like, oh no. But I, it must be um, it must be just interesting to meet all walks of life and like you've been able to document your life mm-hmm. and the things that you've seen. Mm-hmm. You've got this catalogue now of your life. And I, I wonder if you'd ever have thought when, you know, I'm going to go and join the army, that then you would have ended up having all these amazing experiences and yeah. able to capture them. I didn't I didn't really know what was going to happen. Mm. I didn't, like most people, before you join the army, you don't really know the difference between the parachute regiment and the, the corps of chefs. Aye, uh-huh. Very few folk yeah, really yeah, know yeah. it, unless you come from a forces background, yeah. you don't really was know. Was there anything in your family that had been in the forces? My grandfather was in the Second World War. Right. That was it. Um, I think my, my dad missed out on his national service. Um, 
I think they just ended that. Mm-hmm. So I don't really come from a forces family, and mm-hmm. like most people, you don't really know. You know what a jock soldier looks like. You yeah. know what a, a guardsman looks like. But everything else is just a kind of is all kind of greyed out. But you know what? Just it's on that. It's like this, when people come to join the army, people in the army. There's so many elements of what goes on. There's like over seventy careers in the army. Most people think the army's the infantry or tanks. Yeah. You know, yeah. they don't really know about all the different variations, no, all the different different jobs. And all those jobs now are all open to women. Um, the women are allowed to join the infantry. They've been able to join the the, the armour corps for some years now. The army is a very, it's a very inclusive organisation. If you're, you know, uh, if you're part of the LGBT community or if you're you know, a person of colour or a woman, um, none of that matters in the army now, which is really good. It's all the only thing that matters now is doing your job, mm-hmm. um, where you come from, what your surname is, what what your background is, isn't as important as your ability to do your job. Yeah, and it is quite egal- it's very egalitarian in that sense. People come from all over the literally come from all over the world to come and do the same job together, and you get the opportunity to, to learn new people and you learn about new things. We've got loads of um, people from the Commonwealth, mm-hmm. um, from all over the Commonwealth that serve in the army now. Everybody learns. Everybody learns about Fijian now, and we've got the Brigade of Gurkha, so everybody learns yes. a few words in the Pali, mm-hmm. uh, and you just get to know a little bit more about the world, and it's a great opportunity to to see all that as well. Yeah, I was going to say, like the amount of travel that you must have mm-hmm. done, just you know, through your career, that yeah. that in itself, just to see different places, like we're seeing, describing Afghanistan, you know, just places mm-hmm. that you never necessarily would get to visit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, not, and not in a kind of touristy sense yes you know? yeah like uh, the Falklands I've been to the Falklands a couple of times mm-hmm. and the Falklands is a really odd little place because if you go to Stanley it's like a little fishing village outside Oban right you'd never you'd never believe if you woke up in Stanley you'd never believe you're on the other side of the world huh. it's just something about it's everything's just looks like a teeny little sleepy, right. fish, sleepy little fishing village <laughs> um, and it's really it's quite an odd place it's quite mm. an, it's a really interesting place there's, it's obviously got a lot of recent history, uh, but going way back as well. There's, you know, there's, uh, it's got it's got a lot of history, and mm. it really is like this tiny little fishing village outside of Oban that just happens to be on the other side yeah. of the world. Um, you get to go and see that places like Canada. It's great fun as well. I've been to, I've been to Canada. Oh, cool. Um, and you go driving about the plane for two weeks doing your thing, and then you get to go and do adventure training for another two weeks as well. Get paid mm. by the army. To go and do, um, you can go mountain biking and parachute jumping and all this kind of stuff. Cool. You do all this mad stuff and you get paid for it as well, which is really entertaining. <laughs> it's like it's hard work doing the exercise because it's uh-huh. it's designed like that. You've mm. got to work hard because we want to see how far we can, how how much we can get out of people. And the flip side of that, you work hard and you get to play hard and you get yeah. to go and you get paid to go, uh, you know, canoeing in the, the Canadian Rockies. Oh parachute, parachute jump and all that kind of stuff, and the army's really big on that because yeah. it's a really good. It's a great way to to de-stress and to sort of take a step back from all your hard work, uh, and it's also really good fun as well. So when you go and do adventure training, you get people from all over, all walks of life, all different um, careers, mm. and you all get to know each other and become pals, and you yeah. have a laugh together, and you go and do stuff that you would never, you never thought no. you would do. Have you ever been somewhere in a moment where you're like? Why did I not bring my camera? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> in Canada, I took a little Diddy camera and I didn't take it out uh, when the day we went walking in the Rockies and we saw a grizzly bear. What? 
So a grizzly no bear. Way. Yeah. It was down the other side of a valley and Jeez everybody was trying to take pictures of it on the phone and it right. might as well have been like a little dot on all the pictures. <laughs> like, I promise it was a grizzly bear. It was a grizzly bear because the guy who's out getting you get a bear brief. It's the only I think it's the, quite a surreal experience where they tell you all about what no, you bear do. with me. Bear with, yes, bear with, there's a, we're going to go through this tooth and claw, and you get all the bear ah. puns, and you're like, oh, this is, you know, I don't want to be grisly about all this. And you get this, you get a brief about what to do if you run into a bear, uh, which okay. is quite surreal, but it's deadly serious. A bit. It's deadly serious. Um, the the the, the AT guys, the guys who take you on all your adventures training, they carry bear mace, big can of bear mace, just for the opportunity yes. that a bear. Uh, decides to come and bite your head off. Close for comfort, yeah, aye. yeah. And you get this, and it, you get people, guys who are hard as a coffin nail, professional soldiers, <laughs> all sitting going, yeah, a bear, eh? Mm. Yeah, yeah, a bear, lads. This is deadly serious. You know, don't muck about with this. If uh-huh. you see a bear, don't muck about. And they're like, yeah, okay. I didn't realise there was a possibility we maybe get eaten oh by God. a bear. I thought we were going to go mountain biking. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah, I bet you were wishing you'd take your camera yeah, that day. I really wish I had yeah. my camera that. But I have, I have that You moment. have that image in your head. You yes. have the photograph lodged in, in there. <laughs> and do you, in your everyday life, when you're not working, is photography something that you still you know, have a passion for just as a hobby, is something that you... Yeah, I really love taking pictures on my phone, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm really a big fan of Instagram. I think it's... Uh, it's a... That's nice to hear, because I think Instagram is a bad... <laughs> yes, it does, Bruce. You're right. Bruce, Bruce it's just a, ba- a bad name, like social media. I think just we're all on it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. But um, I think there's there's something to be said for like people being able to capture lovely images of everyday things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's through the you know the podcast. I've I've got a lot of guests through Instagram. Mm-hmm. So I think as much as we probably shouldn't be on social media, just as much as we are. Yeah, there is a community there of people that are doing interesting things and taking mm-hmm. images of it absolutely mm-hmm. yeah and uh, i don't know a lot of photographers seem to look down their nose at it because mm-hmm. it's not real photography because you're not doing it with a really expensive camera <laughs> um but if you know what you if you know how to take a picture instagram as yes. and you you know camera phones and all that, you can take really good pictures on them if you if you know what you're doing you right. can do if really you're well care, you can take a good picture yeah yeah <laughs> and get just the opportunity to just take a snap and then get out and using the right kind of hashtags and getting it out there I think it's really exciting. Absolutely. There's something really cool about that. Mm. I love the idea of taking a picture that somebody of, you know, anything, a park or flowers or, or anything, even pictures I've taken for the army. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody around the world will get to see that because of, you know, you know your hashtag. The power of a hashtag. The power of a hashtag, <laughs> exactly that. People, so true. People from the other side of the world, I've got um, people in Japan that follow me on Instagram and I look at their stuff uh, and then you have this, like, not relationship as such, but you have a connection with no, people. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think nice. that's I think that's great. I mm. love that. That's what social media is. That's the social element of it. And um, we are we are perhaps a bit too excited about you know all our social media accounts, but I do like the ability mm-hmm. to to see what's going on, seeing the little moments in other people's worlds. Yeah, definitely. What's good fun as well is when I take pictures. Um, I do see a lot of my pictures popping up on. Uh, folks social media that I've taken for the army okay of people looking there's a thing in the army all about looking alley alliness is all a, is all about looking cool 
Oh, right, okay. Being Ali is a state of mind. Being Ali, right. Yeah, that there are two, there are two uh, origin tales, uh, creation myths about right. Aliness. One of which is that it stands for ALI, Airborne Light Infantry. Right. Which is like people at the parachute regiment mm-hmm. who are super cool and right. very motivated okay. and very into their their own the legend of their uh, their, their exploits. There's also another one which I I, I prefer is that d- during the First World War the thing that really cool frontline soldiers would do would be go air capture captured kit uh-huh. and the French had a thing about wearing captured belts captured German army belts right and the French for Germany is of course Allemand. Ah, so Ali was a right. thing. Was a thing that you would do. So wearing a bit of captured foreign equipment right. was a thing that a cool soldier would I do. See. So Aliness, it's not quantifiable, but it's a thing. You just it's, have an air about you. Yeah, it's Ali. Where you're a bit cool, mm. and you're a bit Ali. I see. And that's the, interesting. And the, the the people that have taken photos in the army uh, get these great pictures of uh-huh. people working hard and looking Ali and looking. Looking the part, keep, pictures keep popping up across Instagram with the tagging cool. and I do like that. <laughs> sitting, sitting, you know, every so often a picture will turn up. Somebody tagged you in their photo, and you go, yeah. Ah. And then all the pals are all going, wow, check you out, check you out. And I come in and go, yeah, check you out. And they go, oh yeah, there you're there. <laughs> That'll be your photograph then. Yeah. <laughs> Getting created is a thing in the army as well. Once mm. upon a time, if you ever got your picture in Soldier magazine. Or um, in the press, mm-hmm. you had to buy a, a crate of beer for everyone because you were showing off. You oh. don't, you don't want to be showing off. You no. might have heard about getting created. Um, watch out for it. You'll start to when he's when you're doing events. Like in the lingo, around. I'm getting into yes. the, the jargon, right? Yep. Okay. See, the next next time you're doing pictures with guys uh, in your form, tell them you watch yourself. Don't get created, right. and they'll pick up I'll on that. Yeah. <laughs> and I basically my job is to go out and get and create people, mm-hmm. taking photos. Uh, of them and getting them into their, you know, their regimental uh, social media. Yes. And getting them into publications like Soldier Magazine and right. Ministry of Defence stuff online. People get created. I don't know if anybody actually does get created anymore, but there is a, it's a charge that is is <laughs> laid on your your doorstep. I like it. <laughs> to remind you not to get too clever. Yes. Don't I get, don't get smart. Don't get too big for your boots. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So what's next for you? Have you got any adventures planned? Um, so on Friday, I'm away down south to, well, Thursday I'm going down to Sandhurst and then Friday we're off to Bavaria for two weeks. Amazing. Yeah, so we do an exercise out in a place called Hohenfels Grafenbeer in southern Bavaria near Nuremberg. Uh, it's a big Amer- training area, mm-hmm. uh, American Air Army training area that we go to with Sandhurst and we go and do a two-week exercise, which is really good fun. It's mm-hmm. really hard work. But it's really entertaining, and you see, it's the last. It's basically a confirmation exercise for the uh, the officer cadets at Santos to prove that they're fit to commission and join the army. Right. This is their last opportunity okay. to make sure, so everybody can check. Mm. Um, everybody can see that they are ready to join the field right, army. Okay. Um, so it's not a high stakes thing as such, but everybody's really motivated mm. to do well on it. Um, my job for, for Santos is to document the exercise mm-hmm. um, and to distribute those pictures to the to the the, the wider MOD mm-hmm. as part of our archive of events that happen at Santos. Um, one one thing I actually have been asked to do, which is uh, it's pretty cool, every intake have a, a charity ball, 
and the cadets will bid for things and the money goes to get split between uh, this year's one's been split between the ABF, the Army Benevolent mm-hmm. Fund, the Soldier yeah. Charity, and MIND, which is the uh, Army Mental Health yes. uh, Charity. And one platoon has bid £640 for me to take their photographs for a day. Wow! Which is really awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. That's lovely. I was asked about it a while ago, and uh, it had been approved by the uh, by the top table at the Academy. I thought, that's a really good idea. Um, and I would be doing that anyway. Yeah. So I'll be doing that, cutting about, taking pictures of people, getting folk looking alley, yes, looking the part. Of course. Um, and we're going to get, we're going to raise some money for really two cool. really that's important awesome. charities. So Love that's it. that's going to be cool. So they're yeah, getting a day's cool. worth of alley thoughts. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's great. That's going to be cool. Um, mm. We do it right at the end. So we do it's in two stages to do a ranges package, and then weather permitting. We will get uh, choppered from one area for political graph we're down to Hohenfels. We'll all fly down in the back of Chinooks, which is super awesome. Yeah, that a lot super of the, awesome. A lot of the time, that's the first time people have been in the back of a helicopter. So they lift as a company at a time, fly down to the train, fly down to this new training area, they'll come running off, and the helicopters take off. And wow. you're in the middle of it all, getting people running in and out of helicopters. Amazing. And it's it's there's, I've done it a few times now, and it's always exciting. I bet it is. It's always exciting. It's, so bit, cool. it's super awesome. So we do that, and then we've got a week and another week in the field, and then at the end of that, they do their final exercise, where they go out through the night, stay up all night, and do a f- one big final attack on this village. Okay. And at the end of all of that, when they've both cleared the village and uh, brought peace and stability to the uh, the fictional region, mm. they uh, they end that, and then. They, they form everybody up on parade and they get to put on the regimental headdress for the very first time of the regiments that wow, they're going to join. Right, okay. So it's a really it's a really special moment. Yeah, this is officially the first time they're allowed to wear cap, their headdress of whichever mm-hmm. unit they're going to go to. Um, so you get a lot of really great pictures of that. You just be witness to uh-huh. a massive moment in a someone's lot of, life. A lot of big smiling faces. <laughs> People work. You know, they work. It's a forty-four week course. At Sandhurst, and every single day is full mm-hmm. of something, and it's really hard work, but it's really rewarding. Nothing, mm. in, nothing in life that's ever worth having is given away freely. Very and you, true. You get to, you get to observe this uh, time when these guys have basically they've got to the end mm-hmm. of a really hard course, and they're all tired because they've been up all night, but they're all beaming because uh-huh. the sacrifices that you make to be part uh-huh. of something like that. You know, just you couldn't. You, you can't imagine people with families and, and lives that they've left behind mm-hmm. you know or the commitment that they've had to make and it's huge you know and yeah. it, like you say it doesn't matter what age or what background or everyone has a, a story to tell mm-hmm. and that moment must just be that the, the real adventure is about to start well that's that's just it that's the point that a lot of people make right then as well all we've really done is gotten to the start line <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of go. After that, they go. Hang on a minute. They go. Yep. All you've done is you've earned the privilege to yeah. to, to carry a, a queen's commission. Mm. The real work starts in a in a few short weeks. We this from from the, the, their time at Santos they go and do the, what's called the phase two training. We do the specialist to arms training. If they're an infantry, they go and do their infantry course. And okay. if they're a tank tanker, they go mm. and learn how to be in charge of a tank and so on and so on and all the other jobs and they go and from that they then go to the, the regiments mm-hmm. and then go and be troop commanders, platoon mm-hmm. commanders 
well, they've, they have worked really hard. They've all they've really done is, got, as I say, got to the start line. Mm-hmm. And then the real work actually begins because then they're responsible for people. And a lot of that is, you know, it's a big responsibility at the age of, you know, 22, 23 years old, being in charge of 30 people, some of which are older than you. A lot of them will have more experience in the field mm. army that you might have. And what is really special about Sandhurst is that you are, you, everybody who, who is at Sandhurst really wants to be there. They're really motivated mm. to be there and they will keep going. And you can see that. Yeah. You can see people working at their hardest. And you just, you can't not, I mean, you, you can't throw a shoe at Santos without catching a picture of somebody doing, working hard. We did, um, I will dig out this picture. We did a picture back in, what was it? Um, February? It was a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they did an exercise down in the Brecon Beacons. If you've ever been to the Brecon Beacons, it's a f- it's just famously horrendous place. Okay. Never been. It's really mountainous. <laughs> it's really hilly. It's beautiful. If, it's yeah. be- if you're driving through it in your car and you stop to look out, you would love it. Okay. But if you've got to walk there with 40 kilos on your back, it's really hard work. It's horrendous. <laughs> you're just up and down over hills. And it's like it's where they, the SAS go and train. Ah. It's... It's just it's a, a real deal. It's a real deal. It's right. a really challenging environment, but that's why we go there because mm. it's a really challenging environment. Because um, anybody can soldier in good weather when it's flat. The whole point of what we do in the in the British Army is to be able to do it at lowest ebb when you're cold yes. and tired and hungry, and wet and bored and fed up with it all. But you can still do your job, and that's why we go to to Brecon because it is just uniquely horrendous. Okay, it's cold and wet and hilly all the time. Even if you went there at the height of summer, you would still get wet and cold. You're not selling it to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny. People don't really talk about Brecon when they, when they come to join the army. But anyway, we were doing this exercise and the last part of it was a casivac, a casualty evacuation, which mm-hmm. is deadly serious. It's all about if somebody gets injured, you know, somebody gets shot, um, you've got to get them out of danger. You've got to get them back to where they can be treated. And it is absolutely a matter of life and death. There is no, let's just pick them up and we'll start wandering back. Mm-hmm. Part of the Kazivak drill up and down those hills is one of the toughest things anybody will ever do. Not just because it's physically arduous, and it is physically arduous, but because you've got to get it right. You've got to get there as fast as you can because yeah. your mate's going to bleed to death yeah. if you don't. Yeah. And you'll never, you'll never get another chance to, to fix that. And we take it as a really, really serious thing. So casualty vac drills are done and it is just ferocious pace of people dragging a casualty with their arm behind them because they've got to be leaning forward the whole mm-hmm. time, practically running. And the last one we did, um, they did a, it was at least two miles up and over the, the hills in Brecon. And by the end of it, the faces, the looks on the guys' faces was sheer agony. You could tell they were really, really struggling, but they kept going mm-hmm. all the way to the end. Um, and they were led all the time by the platoon colour sergeant as well who kept motivating them he didn't just stand there and shout at them you do this while I stand here and scratch my head he was with them on the stretcher with his arm back leading them, Mm -hmm. pushing them forward pushing them way beyond their comfort zones and the looks on their faces it's it's just really hard to scream because they're in a a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain but it's gritted, if you imagine turning yourself into one giant pair of a giant set of gritted teeth yeah. that's what they were doing and it just it's, you literally can't take a bad picture of that because uh-huh. it's so real 
It's so it's that raw. raw yep. moment of yep. you know just the determination and the you can't even imagine. I mean, I'm actually getting like a bit emotional thinking about it. Like mm-hmm. that's because when you deal. when you have to do that for real, <sighs> there's no. I'll just kind of mince along. No. There's no opportunity to not do just that. Pushing your mind and body mm-hmm. to the absolute limit on behalf of your comrades. Because you you've got to know in. you're going to do it. Because if it's you that's lying there, they're going to do the yeah, same thing for you. Yeah, you have to know that you were all in this together. That I would do this for you. You'll do this for me, and this mm-hmm. is how it goes. So they've got these great pictures, which I'll dig out and let you see, of these guys who are literally gritting their teeth. They look like they're going to grind their teeth down. Uh-huh. And right at the end of it, their arms were just like, they couldn't lift their arms. They were in so much discomfort. But they went all the way through it. And they achieved something that they probably never thought that they could have done. Mm. And it's one of those things like, there's no way I could do that until you do it. Until you're in it. And you then you realise that you can yeah. because you have to. And you see so much of that, so much of what the army's about. And being able to capture those moments, there's something really special about that. I mean, like, I think it sounds like you've got like the best job ever. I do have. I really <laughs> do really have does, the best like, job. And you can tell how passionate about yeah, it yeah. you are just when you're talking about it. You know, I do but... have the best job uh, in the army. I love it. <laughs> uh, you're just a part of so many important things. You get to see so many important things. You see people at their best when yeah. they're at their lowest. And like, I, I guess harking back to when you were on the cruise ship, you were saying you were capturing people at the best. Everybody was in a good mood. <sighs> This has the same air about it, but then in just like a whole other level because yeah. you're catching people at their best mm-hmm. in a whole other world, it, it seems, you know, but both worlds are very important and have their mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. You'll have seen things that nobody else will ever get to see, mm. but the joy is that you can capture them for us to see a, a, yes. a, a, an inkling of what you've been witness to. Try and capture, yeah. capture that little minute. There's a famous photographer guy called Henri Cartier-Bresson who was one of the first Magnum photographers one of the first famous street photographers capturing street life. Okay. And his uh, mantra was all about the decisive moment, capturing that little moment of somebody in that that part of their life doing what they're doing. Yeah. And it's not just, it's not about the street, it's not even about the person, it's about what's happening to them Mm -hmm. there and then. And being very present. mm -hmm. Yeah, being very present to people working hard and people committing to something. It's really special. Mm-hmm. It's really special. And for you, you must just have to get into that zone where you're just being always aware and switched on and just hoping that that wee bit of gold dust will mm-hmm. just be there. Yeah, that little spark of gold dust, yeah. that's right. Um, the exercise I'm going to do in uh, Bavaria next week, I have done, uh, I think it's like, I've done it about 23 times now. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I've done the exercise more than <laughs> more times than anybody else in the British <laughs> Army. I'd literally, no one else has done this. <laughs> Everybody else has done like, oh, I've done six of these exercises. Like, hey, Hang on. <laughs> when you get into the double figures, then come and talk to me. <laughs> but that, I do that exercise three times a year, uh, spring, summer, and autumn. And every year I always come away with a completely new set of images. And it's the same ground. And mm-hmm. we're doing the same serials time and time again. But there's always a new thing to catch. Mm. And that's really exciting for me because... Uh, somebody said to me once, I don't know how you managed to keep coming up with new pictures on that exercise because you've done it that many times. When you look at it like that, you go, okay, how do I do it? But then you remember that it's a completely new bunch of people with a completely new bunch of reasons, motivations yeah. to be there. Um, and you catch, you get to capture all that. And see, even though I've done it well in the 20s, now I honestly don't even know, I think it's like 23, 24 maybe, I don't hmm. know. I've been doing the exercise since 2012. 
Um, but every time I do it, there's always something new to see. Yeah, everyone's story is unique. For me, that's what the podcast is about. The joy is just in people's stories and what they've been through and what they've seen. Uh-huh. And like, we're all unique and we all have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And like you say, then you're able to capture a different image every time. Mm-hmm. Those 23 times or whatever you've been, mm-hmm. you've got new images each time because we're all unique. Well, that experience is unique. Yeah, yeah that's it. Portraiture is a great thing. But that portraiture is more than just a picture of somebody's face or a picture of a thing. Portraiture is a picture of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you say, we're, we're all the same, we're all human beings, but we're all unique and we've all got a different, even people who come from the same city and have a relatively similar background, but are all got our little things that make us stand out from the crowd and getting to capture those kind of things, is, it's it's hard work, but it's really rewarding. Mm, I bet. It's really exciting. You can just tell how you know passionate you are about it. I do really love that's my job. important, obviously, because mm-hmm. being in the job for so long, you still have that drive for it, you still have mm-hmm. the passion for it. Yeah. That's important. Yeah, it's... Because um, you're being creative, and to, you know, drum up those ideas and those you know, kind of different images each time must yeah. be quite a task. It is, it is. The, every time it's a challenge. And every, I mean, I'm 47 years old now, so the guys, the cadets that are there, I'm old enough to be their dad now. Jeez. So literally right. some of these kid, some of these cadets are half my age. Wow. And I've got to keep up with them. And yeah. they're all fighting fit because they, they, you know, they've been, they're really motivated and really work hard to, mm-hmm. to do well at Santos, being able to keep up with them. It's hard work, but it keeps me motivated and I will continue to do this job until I am physically incapable of doing it um, or as long as I still find it exciting Mm -hmm. as long as it still motivates me um, I will keep doing this job until basically they they get rid of me (laughs) because it's it's just a unique opportunity to just to capture capture people at their best and as long as I as long as I still enjoy it I will continue to do it even though it's hard work getting out of your bed at five o'clock in the morning to run about like a madman up and down hills (laughs) Uh, but that's the job and as long as it's still entertaining, it's still fun, and yeah. it's still a challenge, then nobody's getting rid of me. I love it. I love it. We are now moving on to what I call the thingamabobs, which uh-huh. are just totally random questions that uh-huh. I have a list of that I've picked out a few for you, Murray, just to get to know who really Murray is. So, my first question to you is, can you complete this sentence? I have always wanted to... See something new every day. That's a good one. Do you think you managed to achieve that? Yeah, I think I do. Uh, well, not every sing- not every single day brings a. Oh, Bruce! Bruce is doing his little guard dog thing. Oh, you're oh you're doing a grand job. <laughs> that's, I love him. that's my little guard dog. It's very intimidating. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's crazy. Um, <laughs> Some days are quieter than others. Some days are absolutely packed full of new things and exciting things. And there's always a, there's always a thing in the army where you, if you're having a really great day, I, I make a point of reminding myself that the other days that will be tough. You'll be cold and wet and tired. You've got to keep going. And then when I'm having a really hard day, when I'm cold and wet and tired, I remind myself there will be a better day than this. You've got to remember, You've got to keep that in perspective. Mm, that's a good mindset to have. Yeah, and. When I'm taking pictures, I'm always looking for something new. Sometimes it's a new angle. Sometimes it's just a, a new look on somebody's face. I, w- I can't say that I've seen something new every single day as far back as I can remember, but I always try to. Yes. 
Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, if you're always looking for it, then you just never know what you'll find. Yeah, yeah. Love as it. long as you don't know what it is, yeah, you just uh-huh. try and find something. Don't have any expectations. Uh-huh. It's just like, just I'm, I'm ready for the magic, whatever it is. Yeah. I love it. What's the first thing you notice about someone when you first meet them? How they connect with you. Do they look you in the eye? Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing. It's always important to be able to... When you're connecting with somebody, you have to look them in the mm-hmm. eye. If people are sincere with you, being yeah. honest with you, they will connect with you. And, mm-hmm. and it's and it's like right now we're yeah. connecting, we're there. talking to each <laughs> other, as opposed to you know avoiding uh-huh. you know, what you're holding back on. And there's, I mean, it's the windows to the soul in it, the mm-hmm. eyes. So, so it's important that we we don't have our head down in our phones. Yeah, <laughs> because you're missing something. Connection. Yeah, we're missing something. Mm-hmm. Handshakes as well. If you handshake someone and they give you a weak handshake. I always wonder, what are you holding back? Um, what would be your ideal desert island or slash death row meal? Gosh. You can do the whole shebang. You can go like start our main course dessert. or right. It's up to you. That's a good one. Well, I'm, I'm a vegan. Uh, are you? Yeah, right. I've been, I cool. was a vegetarian for years mm-hmm. and I became a vegan about two or three years ago. Um, cause I don't, I've always, always been uncomfortable with the notion of uh, factory farming and the uh, Eggs and dairy, uh, the dairy industry is part of that as well. And I thought, no, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want, I don't need anybody to anything to suffer on my behalf. Um, so the, there's a perception that the vegan diet is a bit joyless and drab and okay. dull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but of late, vegan food has taken a really mm-hmm. big leap forward. The supermarkets are now doing their own vegan dishes. And whereas before it was like mushroom patty and, you know, dull, joyless sludge <laughs> the supermarkets are putting into it because it is now it's, it's the healthiest diet out there it's virtually fat free diet um, it's all about understanding where your food comes from and all about knowing what you're eating mm. which is a really really important for me so for health reasons alone it is an excellent diet I have gotten quite good at making my own guacamole <gasps> I love guacamole right I'm getting quite good at okay, it okay cool and my girlfriend Anna is always she's always challenging me to improve on my guacamole <laughs> Um, so I'm a bit of a guacamole master nice. these days so I think I would have to have guacamole in it and do I have to make all this or does it just all magically appear I feel as if it's magically appearing it's because you're, ma- you're going on a desert island or for some reason although I can't imagine Murray on death row <laughs> I hope not <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll go with we'll the desert island we'll keep the desert island <laughs> okay to begin with then fresh bread with guacamole and lots of olive oil Nice. And balsamic vinegar, like that. Oh. that Italian bread, like that. Yeah. To begin with. And then a bowl of soba noodles, buckwheat noodles from Japan with fresh vegetables and tofu. And that way, you know, Japanese bowls of noodles. Mm. It's proper soul food. It's really satisfying. It's really healthy. And then for dessert, anything that doesn't have melon in it. Okay. I, everybody's got that one food that they can't stand. Mine's melon. melon. I would rather. Okay, we won't give you any melon then. So just <laughs> if I get if I get stuck on Melon Island, I won't last long. I right. will I will starve to we death. We can see if that can be arranged. Well, that's anywhere but Melon Island, and I'll be fine. Cool. That sounds like a decent meal. <laughs> Where do you not mind waiting? I don't mind waiting in bookshops or the wine section in a supermarket. Nice. I could spend all day in a second-hand bookshop and buy one book and consider that today's challenge 
I have a problem. I love going to secondhand bookshops, mm-hmm. and a lot of the time it's a challenge just to stop buying books. <laughs> Um, I'm a bit like that myself. Yeah, a charity just, shop. Book yeah, bookshop. The book section, charity shops. It's just like a little goldmine of. Yeah. Oh, I don't even know. I, what I've that started is. doing this thing where if I find a book that I've read that I've enjoyed, I just buy it and then I uh, give it to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I've done like that I call it well. the one quid collective. Yeah. So if I find a book and then I like it, I pass it on. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, that's a great. Because you're supporting a good cause as well. Absolutely. And you're giving somebody. Yep. I, nice I did just have a clear out of books, which kind of took it took uh, took a while to build up to it. But I gave a, uh, a pile of books to the charity shop around the corner. I almost make a point of giving stuff away to charity shops yeah. because just because you don't have any use for it doesn't mean that someone else can't. And if you can raise some money for Absolutely. an important cause, that's yeah. a good thing. Um, so yeah, bookshop in the wine section and a, a good wine section. I can spend all the ages looking at different bottles of wine. Nice. To buy, wine. That's like a to excellent just, combination. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> just to buy one bottle of wine. I like it. I like it. Favourite place in Scotland? I love Glasgow. I've lived all over the world, um, at, sort of for varying times, and I've been to quite a lot of places in the world. I really love Glasgow. It's a really fun town, and the people people do make Glasgow. It's a bit of a hackneyed line. But there, uh, there's something just really funny about the people from Glasgow. Mm. That just, there's something about them that just crack me up all the time. It's got a lot of really beautiful architecture and so much history that we forget. We forget just how involved uh, Glasgow is as yeah. a city yeah. and its influence on Scotland and Britain and mm. across the world. Um, Joseph Lister pioneered uh, antibiotics and the people who invented ultrasound went yes, to Glasgow University right. yeah. um, just to name but two mm. and then all those ships that were built and yeah. to the, the, you know, to the point where Clyde built is mm-hmm. as, as like a byword for, for quality you know my dad worked in, uh, in the government docks oh, as a young really? man right, yeah. okay. and he was part of all that world wow. um, and there's still ships I, I, I saw a Royal Navy, an Australian Royal Navy sub once when I went to Australia that was built on the Clyde and uh, my dad told me about how he worked on subs really? when he was a young man. He might have worked on that very <laughs> same one, which is cool. That's but yeah, I love Glasgow. Glencoe is beautiful. Yeah, Glencoe's. that one comes up quite a lot when I ask yeah. this question. Yeah, <laughs> that's really beautiful. And usually it's people that have been all around the world, uh-huh. but Glencoe has come up a few times actually. Yeah, and the one la- the last one is there's a little beach, little kind of harbour beach thing in a place called Anstruther in Fife. My parents used to have a caravan in Anstruther and I used mm. to go there when I was in that's where you get your fish and chips in it. Anstruther. Yes, yes, that's, that's the, the one. Place to be. That's the one. Yeah, <laughs> I've queued up for them before. Yeah, yeah, we all have. Everybody queues. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't eat fish, but uh, no. the chips are mega, yeah. and everybody says the fish is really good. Uh, my pal Neil, my oldest pal Neil, and I used to go there when we were wee boys, and that's mm. probably why we were so, we're so close because we did that when we were nippers running about like idiots, throwing <laughs> stones into the water and collecting shells and all that kind of mad stuff. Um, just all that innocent stuff that makes your childhood exciting mm. and every time I go back there I don't go back there as often as I should I remember all the mad stuff that him and I used to do together mm-hmm. when we were daft wee boys when we had the best job in the world <laughs> being a 12 year old just boy boys. just running about like an idiot and getting yourself into trouble and bumps is that not what you're still doing? well yeah <laughs> yes I peaked at the age of 12 and I have fought gravity and fought uh, fought my age ever since and as long as I'm still a 12-year-old boy and then said, I think I'm going to be okay. I think plenty of people would be envious of you and your <laughs> 12-year-oldness. Running about like an idiot, scraping my knees. I love it. Talking about being a boy, 
um, what's the one story that either friends or family retell about you time and time again? Oh, good Lord. Um, my mum always tells a story about how I pronounced barometer when I was a wee boy. <laughs> Our neighbours had a, I asked what my neighbour's clock was in the wall when it, I don't know, I think it must have been about three or four or something mm-hmm. like that. And they said, oh, that's not a clock, it's a barometer. Uh, and, I went, and I went, ooh, a barometer, what's that? And my mother was thoroughly impressed. She tells everybody all about that <laughs> to this day, about how I knew what a barometer was. Well, what I could say the word barometer. Yes. Um, my friends will probably, well, some of my friends will probably tell me about the time, the idiotic time when I set a signal flare off in a guy's house at a party. Uh, I, years ago, I, had, I was working on a fishing boat. Years ago, uh, I was invited to spend a day in a fishing boat. Mm-hmm. And they had signal flares, and I asked if I could have one. And I kept it, and I forgot all about it until I took it to a party. And I thought it was going to be like a, you know, just like a a, a, a candle, basically. But it was a, a sea-going signal oh flare right. that set off a mile of smoke. <laughs> so you could see a fishing boat from uh, 100 miles away. I don't know what it was, so I I thought I'll go round the back and I'll set it off, and I thought it would go, pfft, but it went like all the smoke in the universe came out of it, <laughs> and I went running through this guy's house. I was drunk, <laughs> and run through the guy's house, and he went absolutely mental at me because it just filled the room with bright orange smoke. Nothing was damaged, no. but it just the whole place was filled. Yeah, it created an atmosphere. Yes, it created an atmosphere, <laughs> and they kicked me out of the party, absolutely raging. I didn't realise that. I, I thought, what's the big deal here? But it was absolutely raging because mm. I'd filled the house with bright orange smoke and my pals had basically spent the rest of the night listening to everybody how they wanted to kick my ass. <laughs> but they just spent the whole time laughing at how funny it was. Well, that is a good story. <laughs> and that's the only one I'm going to tell you about. <laughs> I appreciate that. And my last question, hi Bruce, is what is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? There's so many great Scottish words. Um, Anna, my girlfriend, is English, and she she's lived up here for quite some time, but she mm-hmm. still struggles with um, some of the Scots words. My dad always talks about a thing having a fankle in it, like a, if a hose gets twisted. Yes, a fankle. It's fankled. I've not heard that for years. Uh huh. Um, and I always loved that. I thought it was a great word. That is a good word. That is a good one. And uh, a scale yes. in your finger. Yes. But I think my favourite Scots word is probably scunnered. I'm pure scunnered with you and your behaviour setting off a flare at that guy's house. <laughs> it, it's just there's something about it. It's, it only exists because it's more yeah. than being annoyed. Oh, I... But it's not about being angry or, no. you know, like, you know, raging, you know, red, going bright red. Mm. I'm scunnered with you mm. and setting off that flare at that party. <laughs> But it was funny. Yes, it was funny. But I'm still scunnered with you officially. Yes. I'm sure he's over it now. I th- it's been about more than 20 years, so hopefully he's, he's calmed down ever since then. <laughs> that guy that lit off that flare. <laughs> I mean, who can say that? Who can say that they were that, that thought that that would be a good That's idea? That's a party in itself. It is. People talked about that you for years. That <laughs> well... Murray, you have definitely not scurred me the day. This has been an absolute joy and a total eye-opener because you think you've had a window into somebody's life very briefly, but um, I couldn't have imagined the brilliant stories that you were going to tell. So Excellent. I really appreciate you joining the Bra Brave clan. Thank you very much for And I wish you all the best in your many adventures to come. Thanks very much. Thank you. 
hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Braw and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.